Alright, well praise God. Tonight, I want you to think about something with me for just a second. Here's what the Bible says in Isaiah 5, verse 13. It says, Therefore, my people are gone into captivity because they have no knowledge. That's an interesting statement. My people are gone into captivity because they have no knowledge. If you have no knowledge, you would be ignorant. That statement, ignorance is bliss, is really not true. <laughs> Hosea chapter 4, verse 6 says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, verse 12, it says that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. And listen to this last part. And strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. The reality is when you don't know the covenant, you're without God in the world. Because to not know what God promised, to not know what God has said, brings us into captivity. If you don't know the covenant, the devil has the advantage. If you don't know the covenant promises health, then the devil has the advantage. If you don't know what the promise is. The Apostle Paul often said, I would not have you ignorant, brethren. Or maybe, I would not have you ignorant, brethren. <laughs> Whatever he was saying, though, he was saying that ignorance is not the best thing to be. A lot of Christians have fire insurance and they get saved just so they don't have to go to hell. Now that's a good thing that you don't have to go to hell. But the problem with just that thought is that hell comes to you when you're in this life. I'm not talking about you in this room. I'm talking about, you know, the big you. Um, we need to know that God didn't want us to be ignorant. When we're without knowledge of the promises and directives, then we're at the mercy of the devil who has no mercy. And he can do whatever he wants to do. He does it all the time. He tells people that they're cursed. He tells people that they have to live with this or live with that. He tells them that, you know, because mom and daddy had this, you're going to have the same thing. You know, because... Uh, Daddy and Grandpa and Great-Grandpa all died before they were 65, then you have to die before you're 65? And people begin to believe that kind of thing because they don't know what God has promised. My biggest frustration in life is that people aren't taught the Bible and they're not encouraged to know it for themselves. You see, the Word is really good if I know it. But if it's just in a book on my coffee table, it really is not doing a lot of good. This is a true story. Tammy and I were visiting, you know, back in the days when we first started pastoring churches, we were visiting this family because that's what you did. You went and knocked on doors and visited with people. So we knock on this door, this apartment complex. I mean, the walls were paper thin, the door was thin, and we could hear on the other side of the door somebody said, It's a preacher! <laughs> So all of a sudden you hear things start clanking around and, and all, you know, they're, they're emptying the ashtrays, they're throwing the beer cans away. I mean, the only reason I know there were cigarettes there was because they opened the door and the smoke starts coming out, you know. And, and uh, oh, come on in. We were just thinking about praying together or whatever they said. 
and so we so we sat down and, and as as our as my habit was when we'd go visit people that we would talk and they would inevitably have some something they wanted to ask because they wanted to change the subject of why I was there to see if they were born again. And so they'd start asking some, something of, of me theologically. And so I would always say, well, you have a Bible here, don't you? Why don't you go get that for me? And I would always ask them for their Bible, not mine, because I didn't take one with me. And so just I just like to play with people that way. I don't know why. And so, so I said, you do have a Bible, don't you? And the dad says, oh, yeah, yeah, we've got a Bible. I can't remember the little boy's name. Jimmy, go in the bedroom and, 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 and bring me our Bible. He goes, our, our, our Bible? <laughs> he, said, he said, you know, you know that big book that we always read from. And he said, oh, okay. So he runs in the bedroom and he comes back and he brings me the Sears catalog. <laughs> that is a true story that really happened to us. I'm always frustrated that people don't know what the Bible says. The devil has taken them for everything they have because they don't know what God promises. There's been, there's been this teaching that's been very prevalent uh, in, 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 in times recently about, about that God's grace for Christians, and it says that, that God has done everything and there's nothing else that you need to do. All you got to do is just wait for Jesus to come back. And you will be okay because God does it all and you are entitled to an easy life because, because grace got it all. I mean, you, got, you walk down the aisle and you either got baptized or not because you may or may not have felt like it. And then what happens is when things aren't easy, people give up on God. They begin to blame God. Because they weren't taught what the Bible really says. Let me say this. What God leaves up to us, we can't leave up to Him. What God leaves up to us, we can't leave up to Him. As I said, many people think all they got to do is walk the aisle and be baptized, and that's all there is to Christianity. But the Bible teaches us that there's a whole lot more to Christianity than that. All right? The Bible says in four different places that the just live by faith they live by faith that means that means that 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 we that we deport ourselves in this realm of faith there will never be a time in a christian's life when we don't have to operate in faith we live by faith that means the kind of faith that was involved that got me born again is the way i'm supposed to live every day that's, that's a part of my life. It means our salvation experience was the introduction into the life of faith. It wasn't the destination of the life of faith. We live by faith every day. It means the rest of our life with walking with God will make about as much sense to us as getting born again made sense to us. It didn't make any sense at all. How could we, how could, how could believing in this man that died 2,000 years ago, how could that guarantee my future in heaven with God? doesn't make any sense. Walking by faith doesn't have to make sense. I don't have to understand anything. All I have to do is believe what God told me to do. That's just, the Bible never says that we walk by understanding. We have to have knowledge, but we walk by faith. We have to believe what God has said. We have to know what the Word says. See, we don't live by our feelings. We don't live by our felt needs. We live by what the Word says. People are confused. And they think that everything that happens 
now that I'm saved, everything that happens is somehow the will of God for my life. Let me ask you this question. When you overslept and were late for work and you got chewed out, was that the perfect plan of God for your life? No, that wasn't the perfect plan of God for your life. You made a decision somewhere along the way to stay up too late, to hit the snooze or whatever happened. And the fact that the dog got out because you left the gate open, is that somehow the plan, the perfect plan and will of God for your life? No. And was you yelling, when you were yelling those bad words at the dog while he was running off, was that the perfect will and plan of God? Well, no, that wasn't the will of God. When you, when, when you said, honey, we're out of cornflakes. Is that the will of God for your life? No, those are choices that people make. God can use anything we give Him, but He, he is not the cause of everything we experience. We need to know what did He say? What did He promise? What do I need to, to, to submit to? But what do I need to resist in life? Because not everything that comes down the pike is the will of God. The Scripture says this in Deuteronomy chapter 30. This is out of the Good News Translation. The Lord said, Today I'm giving you a choice between good and evil, between life and death. Notice, today I'm giving you a choice. God didn't say, Today I'm making this happen. From, my, from this moment forward, everything that happens to you is good. No, He said, I'm giving you a choice. He said, I am now giving you the choice between life and death, between God's blessing and the curse, and I will call heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Choose life. You see, it's our choice that brings life. It's our choice that brings the curse. We get to choose those things. Now, I'm going to tell you, when you choose life, the devil will do everything that he can do to get you to give up on that choice. I mean, you know that's true. He will do everything he can. He will, he, will, he will try to tell you the word doesn't work. He will, try to, he will do to you exactly what he did to Eve in the garden. He'll come up to you and he will say, Has God said? Did God really say that? Did he mean it though? That was, that was for Jesus. And he'll do everything he can to get you to doubt the word of God. We must make choices. And when it's our choice to make, God won't make it for us. This is really good, huh? My decision doesn't save me. Only God can save me. God is the Savior. But my decision gives God permission in my life. I choose. See, He will never violate my will regarding anything. My personal salvation is my choice. Now, in the prophetic sense, he's going to do a lot of things in opposition to people's wills. Prophetically speaking, when we're talking about the end times, a lot's going to happen and people are going to be mad and the scripture teaches us in, in Revelation and they're going to blame and curse God when it does. He'll violate their will. But I'm talking about in my personal life, God will never violate my will. All right, God cannot make you get saved. He will not make you make the right decisions. Now, he'll even tell you what the right decision is. But you still have to make the decision. And I know in this room, some of us have made decisions in our lives that we know we're, we were opposing the will of God. And we got through. It was bad. And we said, well, I didn't know. Let me just say something. When you stand before God, you're not going to be able to say, well, I didn't know. Because he's going to know that you know. 
Because he knows all of those things. I heard of a guy who worked at a factory and he said, you know, since we've been strictly following all the safety rules here at the plant, it sure seems that 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 that, that, that is causing God not to take as many home as he did before. <laughs> when we start making a choice to do what he says, it makes a difference in our lives. So for several weeks we've been talking, not several weeks, for the last couple of times, we've been talking about the supernatural. I know this, that in this room, some of us need God to move in a supernatural way. There are things that you need God to do that only God can do, but the reality is you have to choose them. And here's the secret. Jesus was coming off the Mount of Transfiguration. He's coming down. The disciples are down at the bottom, and they've been trying to cast a demon out of a guy. And they couldn't get it out. They tried and tried. They couldn't get it out. Jesus comes down. And this is my paraphrase. He says, Jesus says, what's going on here? And they said, well, the guy says, my son had a demon. Your, son, your disciples couldn't get it out. And Jesus said, how long has he had it? He said, since he was a boy. It throws him in the fire. It does all these terrible things to him. And he starts describing this bad thing. But then the guy says, this is the amplified version of Mark 9:22. He says, but if you can do anything, have pity and help us. Have you ever prayed that prayer before? Maybe not those exact words, but prayers like that. Have you ever prayed that? Oh, God, if you could just do something here. If you would just help me, I would serve you the rest of my life. If you could just do something here. The guy actually says to Jesus, if you can do anything. God, if you could do anything. I love Jesus' answer to him. He says, and Jesus said, you say to me, if I can do anything? If you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. Now, that was Jesus' answer. If we're talking about supernatural things, I'm not talking, listen, I'm not talking about the spectacular. I'm talking about the supernatural. I'm talking about God's power being released. And I'm talking about God having his will done in my life and me being the vessel through whom it can come, the, per the thing that I need to do is learn how to believe him. Jesus said all things are possible to him that believes. We started talking about the impossible things the last couple of times. Things that are impossible. I mean, when Jesus left this planet, in, when, he was, when, when he ascended to heaven, he gave the church an impossible commission. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to Every person. Everybody. He said, I want you to change the planet. The disciples in those days, they didn't go, well, Jesus, that's impossible. They just believed him. And they went to work and they believed they could change the world. They were accused one time of turning the world upside down. The church today ought to be accused of turning the world right side up. Because our, our, our world is in desperate need of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we're assigned to these impossible things, or when these impossible things, are, we're facing them, many Christians just give up because it seems like we can't do anything. And the reality is, in our ability, we can't do anything. The one thing we can do is believe. What, the Bible calls us what? It calls us believers. Believers. Flies fly. Walkers walk, runners run, believers believe. That's what we do. It is in every single one of us. The day we said, Lord Jesus, 
come into my heart. We became a believer and we believed enough on that day. Listen, I don't know if you realize it or not, but you, on that day, you had enough faith to wipe to wipe the slate clean of every sin that you ever had committed, are committing, and will commit. For Christians to say, I, can't, I just can't believe, that just is not true. You can believe. You're a believer. You're a believer. The problem we have is we just haven't been fed the right kind of information. And we've been told that we, we can't do that. The devil has told us that. The man said, if you can do something. And Jesus said, if I can do something. See, all things. Some things are impossible with man. But Jesus said, there's nothing impossible with God. Nothing. And all things are possible to him that believes. Man, I really like that. For the possible, for the impossible to become possible, we must be actively engaged in believing God right now. Not having believed God yesterday. Believing God today. Man, the right now kind of believing. Last time, we talked about that we're to, for the impossible to take place in our lives, first thing we got to do is we got to take control. Listen, you're not going to defeat the devil in, in any area until you take control. you got to take control. We, gotta, we, gotta, we, have to be, we have to be like David was with Goliath. When Goliath was threatening him and when Goliath was making all the rules, we need to say, uh-uh, no, those are not the rules. Here are the rules. I submit to God and I resist you and you flee from me. Those are the new rules. See, we need to be, we need to be aggressive in that. We've got to believe. Billy Graham told, tells the story that, that early in his ministry he arrived in this small town and he was going to preach a sermon. While he, was, while, he, he needed, while he was there, he needed to mail a letter. So he asked this young boy where the post office was. All right, so the boy told Dr. Graham where it was, and Dr. Graham thanked him, and he said, you know what, if you'll come to the Baptist church this evening, you can hear me telling everybody how to get to heaven. And the little boy said, I don't think I'll be there. And Billy Graham said, you, you won't be there? And he said, look, you don't even know how to get to the post office. <laughs> we got to be able to find out what does the word say and do what we're supposed to do with it. Right. So, in addition, in addition to taking control, we got to take authority. When you understand spiritual authority, you can take control. See, we got to know that we have authority over the devil, over every demon. We have authority, no matter how high-ranking the demon is. You have authority over it. I'm absolutely convinced tonight. We have this little granddaughter. She is in kindergarten and she believes she is the boss of the world. And she thinks she can give orders to everybody and they should obey them. I'm going to tell you something. She is not afraid of the devil because she knows he's supposed to obey her. Just like you are. We need to know the littlest girl has authority over the devil in the name of Jesus. If we understand the authority we have, we'll never have to fear again. We'll never have to, to say we can't do it again. We've got to know we have authority. We've got to know something. We thought, but, but if Jesus defeated the devil, he's a defeated foe. Why do we have to take authority over him? I thought it was finished. Well, 
The work of redemption was finished at the cross. Jesus conquered the devil. I love Colossians 2.5. It says, And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made an open show of them, a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it, in the cross. The devil stands no chance against Jesus' cross, against his blood and against his name. But the power, the authority must be invoked by believers. That's why the apostle Paul said, Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Jesus defeated the devil. It's our job, though, to enforce what Jesus did. The devil will come over and over again and tell you it didn't work and that he has power. Oh, by the way, he does have power. Not enough to overcome the blood. And not enough to overcome what Jesus did on the cross. I mean, the devil, he's the God of this world. The scripture calls him the prince of the power of the air. He'll continue to do all that till the second advent of Jesus. But the authority is to the believer. And it's only available to those who appropriate it by faith. That's coming to the place in my life where I say, the word says it. I believe it. And right now in the name of of Jesus Christ, go. But what if he doesn't go? He's going to go as long as you believe him. And you continue to say it. And you continue to stand on what God has said. You see, Jesus overcame him. He is the God of the world, but he's not the God of Randy. He's not the God of you. We have to choose it. Authority over the devil is only available as we appropriate it by faith. He still has the power. And the authority to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But only those who are born into the, into the family of Adam, but have not been reborn into the family of Jesus. We have authority over him. Jesus said, Behold, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing by any means shall hurt you. Now here's what he said. He said, Behold, I give you power. The word power here is the Greek word exousia which means authority. It means, it means delegated authority. He said, I have authority and I'm giving you authority over all the power of the enemy. Jesus gave us authority over all the power of the enemy. So we have to learn to take authority. It's one thing to know it here. We've got to know it deep in our spirits. I have authority over the devil. Now, if I don't enforce it, he's just going to come and do what he wants to do. But I have to enforce the authority. Now, think about this. This is a great passage we're going to read. Lots of verses here. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 30. And you know this story, but I, I think it's real. This is, this is how we're going to take authority over the devil. This is a great picture. It says, And Elijah said to all the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took twelve stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar as great as contained two measures of seed. And he put the wood in the altar and he cut the bullock in pieces and laid him on the wood and said fill four barrels with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice now it's interesting to me he says fill four barrels with water and pour them on the burnt sacrifice he's already calling the the meat burnt 
That's a, I'm telling you, the man is speaking faith right here. He said, I want you to pour a bunch of water on the burnt sacrifice. And then he said, do it the second time. And they did it a second time. He said, do it a third time. And they did it the third time. And the water ran about the altar, filled the trench also with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and I love this next part, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their heart back again and the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench and when all the people saw it they fell on their faces and they said the Lord he is God the Lord he is God now you know this story I mean Elijah man he has taken authority over the king of Israel he's taken authority over the prophets of Baal there are things we're going to learn from this tonight that's going to teach us how we can take authority this oh, yeah, the old testament is great the old testament is basically the gospel concealed the new testament is the gospel revealed and in this passage we can see some wonderful things i want you to look at this before this happened elijah prophesied that it would not rain in israel for three and a half years I mean, he went to the king, to Ahab, who the Bible calls the most wicked of all the kings of Israel. He goes to Ahab and he says, it's not going to rain again until I say. That is a bold prophecy. It's not going to rain again until I say. Earlier in that very same chapter we read out of, Abraham, I mean, Ahab runs into Elijah. And Ahab looks at Elijah and he said, <clears throat> he said, oh, here you, you're the one who's caused all this trouble in Israel. All he was doing was speaking the word. He just spoke the word to him. And I love, Elijah says, no, no, I'm not the one who caused the trouble. You're the one who caused the trouble. He said, I'll tell you what let's do today. Let's find out whose God is God. You go get you your 400 prophets of Baal. You have them meet me on Mount Carmel. Now, wait a minute. He's in charge, isn't he? He's not letting the prophets of Baal make the rules. He said, you go get them and you meet me on Mount Carmel. And they prepare their sacrifice. I'll prepare my sacrifice. And we'll see whose God is God. Because the God that answers by fire, that is God. I mean, the guy is all about being in charge here. He is not allowing the devil to make the rules. I mean, he just, he just said, that's what's going to happen. He challenges him. He took authority. Now... Here's how Elijah took authority. And this is how we're going to take authority. Number one, he took authority by making a decision. You've got to decide. If you're going to take authority in the Spirit, you've got to make a firm decision. It says this in verse 21 of that chapter. Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you halt between two opinions? How long will you be undecided? If the Lord be God, follow Him. But if Baal, then follow him. And all the people answered him, not a word. Elijah was sure. He knew who was God. We must choose the word of God and choose it no matter the circumstance, no matter what it feels like, no matter what it looks like. If we're going to have authority, we're going to stand on what God said. We've got to choose it. You'll never have authority over the devil as long as you're not sure. Listen, the devil, 
I don't know if I've said this in here before or not. The devil is like a horse. Have you ever ridden a horse? If you've ridden a horse and you're afraid of it, a horse knows if you're afraid of it. And he will lead you instead of you leading the horse. I mean, you get on the back of a horse, you better know that you're in charge. And if you know you're in charge, he'll go where you tell him to go. He'll do what you tell him to do. But if, if, you, if you're not, he's not going where you want to go. Especially if you want to go down some steep incline. But the devil, he knows. He knows if we mean it or not. Too many Christians are halfway in the world, halfway in the church, and wonder why it doesn't work and why they don't get results. They live one way and they think they get the other way. It's not about, I bind you, devil. It's about taking a stand. And you dig in and you understand. Listen, he took authority because he got offensive. I love Elijah. He got offensive. You'll never have authority over the devil if you're always on the defensive. I love it. Elijah made the rules. He told them what they were going to do. He engaged the enemy. He called them out. As long as we're on the run and trying to get away from the enemy's attacks, we're not going to be able to take authority. But when we decide, I'm finished running. I am sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm going to stand for the kingdom. I'm going to stand in authority. I am not running from this. He took, he, he took authority because he had confidence in the Word of God. Listen, he wasn't arrogant he was confident. I love in verse 36, he said, let it be known this day that I have done all these things at thy word. He said, I want everybody to know something. It's because God's word is true. His actions were the result of having heard and obeying what God told him to do. He was so confident when the, those prophets of Baal, they got out there and they're, I mean, I know you've read this story many times, but they have their cow on the altar and it's all cut up and they begin to cry out to Baal. Elijah was so confident, he began to make fun of them. He hadn't had a fire yet either. Now, he hadn't started calling for one either. But he started making fun of them. The Message Bible says in verse 27, by noon, Elijah started making fun of them. Taunting. Call a little louder. He is a God after all. Maybe he's off meditating somewhere or other. Maybe he's got involved in a project. Maybe he's on vacation. You don't suppose he's overslept, do you? He needs to be waked up. The King James Bible says, maybe he's pursuing. That means maybe he's on the toilet and can't come right now. I mean, Elijah is just making fun of these guys. And they're cutting themselves and putting their blood on the, on, the, on the altar. And I mean, he is so confident. He is so much the aggressor here. He's not in defense of, he's not having to, to run back from anything. He is pursuing God with everything he has. And he's, he is making fun of those guys. I mean, he, he was taking it to them. He took authority by knowing who he was. You're never going to stand against the devil as long as you feel like you're inferior. As long as you feel like you are the one who's no good. Eli, here's what he said. He said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel and that I am your servant. He said, let them know. You're God. I'm your man. You've got to know who you are in Christ to take authority. As long as you think you're no good and you're some worthless worm of the dirt, it's not, the devil isn't afraid of worms of the dirt. But he is. Afraid of the word of God. As long as you think you're a sinner, you're not a sinner, you're a saint. 
Most of all, Elijah took authority by knowing the source of the power that backed him. He knew that our God is the only one who could answer by fire. He took the rocks and he stacked them up. He took the wood. He put the animal. He poured the water on there. I mean, can you just imagine 12 barrels of water running over and over, filling up the trench? And now you're going to ask God to rain fire down? He knew the power had to come from God. He did all those things in the natural, but the power had to come from God. It wasn't enough just to believe for power. He did what God instructed him to do. He put himself on the line, and he God was his only answer. And God answered him. I love it. He said, okay, now, whose God is God? And they're all, your God is God. Because he answered by fire. Remember we read this passage. Jesus said, Behold, I give you authority or power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing by any means will hurt you. We have authority over the devil. We have authority over the devil. We've got to make sure we understand that. Here's, here's what it's like. Have you ever been in a traffic intersection where the signal went out? And there's a policeman in the middle of the, of the intersection. He comes and he stands there, and a big old truck is coming to him. He's got a whistle in his mouth. He blows the whistle and holds his hand out. What does the truck do? It stops. Can he stop a truck? Not physically. He has authority to stop the truck. He knows the whole government is behind him. The truck driver knows if he runs over that policeman, he may get away with it for a few moments, but he's going to have lots of other policemen to deal with in a few minutes. He has authority. Not power. He doesn't have the power to stop the truck. He has the authority to stop the truck. <coughs> Jesus said, Behold, I give you authority over all the power of the enemy. You have authority over it. I love the verse of Scripture. Jesus said in Ephesians 6.10, He says, Finally, my brethren... Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. The little phrase, be strong, the Greek word is in dunamao. The, the root is dunamis, which means miracle power, explosive power. The little beginning in, the prefix in, says in Miracle explosive power. It's talking about explosive power that's being deposited into some type of a container or other type of receptacle. You are the receptacle that God pours the miracle power into. Amen. You're that receptacle. He says, be strong in the Lord. It's, I mean, this explosive power is only available in the Lord. That's pretty good news because the scripture says we are in Christ and he is Lord. Explosive power in the Lord. It says be strong in the Lord in the power of his might. The word power here is the Greek word kratos, which means power that is demonstrative, eruptive, and tangible. It's not talking about intellectual power. It's talking about manifested acts of power. It's talking about us being the receptacle for it. In the power of his might, the, the word is ishkus. It conveys a picture of a strong man who's maybe a bodybuilder, a mighty man. I mean, it's the kind of might that can only come from God. That's the authority we stand in. He pours miracle power in us. 
we're backed by Him. We can hold our, our hand out and say, Stop to the devil. That's why 1 John 4, 4 says, You're of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. We have authority. We're going to take a stand in authority. Jesus said, These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name, they'll cast out devils. We have authority over every demon spirit. I mean, do you know something? Not one time in the entire New Testament is the church ever told to pray that God or Jesus would do anything about the devil. It's not our job. Oh God, please stop the devil. Remember I said a while ago, we can't, what God has called us to do, we can't expect him to do for us. We're the ones who bind the devil. I mean, we're to do something about the devil. Man, we have authority. We don't pray about the devil. We remove the devil. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. We have to have authority. We stand in it. It is our authority. The victory is ours because we take control and we take authority. In Jesus' name. Amen? Let's pray. Father, tonight, I thank you for authority that we have in Jesus' name. I thank you, God, there is no demon in hell that has authority over the name of Jesus Christ. I thank you for that song we used to sing. The blood has never lost its power. Lord, I thank you that every demon, every wicked spirit trembles at the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray you you embed in our hearts, our spirits, the truth of the reality who we are in Christ, that we are your ambassadors in this world and that we can take your authority. We can stop the devil. We can release the kingdom. Father, we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.